are in week number three of our five-week series on the book of Daniel, right here in uh, the middle, the third sermon here. Uh, and so we have been looking at this book, the great book, um, looking at today, it's called Human Kingdoms is what uh, this uh, sermon is entitled, but looking at the book of Daniel. To recap everybody, uh, this, this uh, book takes place between 605 B.C. and about 540 B.C., so we're at almost a halfway point between King David and Jesus, and so we're right about the halfway point. King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in, wipes out Judah, takes back a bunch of the best and the brightest Hebrews, and um, wants to make them Babylonians, and so it's the story of Daniel, mostly Daniel, but also Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, um, and how they had to live and make it in a pagan culture, in an evil culture. They lived there from their teenage years on the rest of their life. And so what can we learn? Because in, in some regards, we live in an evil culture today. There is a culture that is in America and around the world that is anti-God, against God. And so how are we supposed to remain Christians in an evil culture? Have you ever asked that question before to yourself? How are we supposed to do this? We can look at Daniel uh, and learn some principles of what he did. And so uh, in, in week one, he said, no, I'm not going to eat the food that you put before me. Last week, we looked at Daniel Lyons Den and looked at Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the burning furnace. And they said, no, we're not going to do what you want us to do. And we're going to live with the consequences, whatever they are. And we found out that God is faithful to those who remain faithful to him. Amen. So that right there is kind of the, the big picture there. So what we're going to do today is we're going to zoom back out and, and look at, at kind of a, a total uh, big picture here on what that looks like. And then next week we're going to zoom back in closer and, and look at two specific stories on how we can live this out. But today we're looking at kind of a zoomed out look um, of what the Lord wants us to do. And so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 7, of course, we'll have the uh, scripture on the screen as well. But if you wanted to turn there in your Bibles, we're in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, looking at two stories, two sermon, two stories for the price of one right here this morning, okay? So looking at two stories, uh, looking at Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, let's start in Daniel 2 verse 1. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Verse 4, then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic. Interesting note, um, chapters 2 through 7 from this point on are in Aramaic, whereas Daniel chapter 1 and then 8 through 12 is in Hebrew, which kind of means that those are put a little bit together. So you can put Daniel's uh, chapters 2 through 7 together because they're in Aramaic. Just a little note there for you in case you cared. There you go. All right. <laughs> then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. Verse 5, but the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. All right, so all of us in this room, we've had dreams before, right? 
most of those dreams are weird, <laughs> okay? And so it, it's, it, have you ever had a dream that you could fly or you had a dream that you were somebody else, that you're, you know, just like weird things uh, can happen uh, in your dreams. I had a dream once where a crayon monster bit my head off, um, but then my body kept running. And so, I don't know, if you can interpret that for me, many gifts and riches and honors will be given to you. But if you cannot interpret it, no. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. Uh, I, I know that you probably could not tell me that that sentence was going to come out of my mouth there. How is it that King Nebuchadnezzar says, I've had a dream. Why don't you tell me what my dream is and then interpret it? Like, there's no way that, that they could do this. That there's no way that this can happen. And they even say this. Verse 7, they say again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. Verse 8, the king replied, I know what you were doing. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. I mean, this is obviously a ridiculous request uh, that he is saying. But you see the untrustworthiness that is in the room. Uh, The king doesn't trust his magicians and enchanters. They don't you know, trust him? Why in the world are you asking us to do this? Uh, In in the human world, there's a lot of untrust that is out there, Uh, probably because we know each other too much. (laughs) Uh, But there's some untrust that's out there, and you can definitely tell, and you can see it in this room. Verse 10, the astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever such has asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. We look throughout time. No king has ever asked this of his aid. Tell me what I dreamed and then interpret it. That's, that's crazy. No one can do that, verse 11. The king's demand is impossible, and they're right. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they don't live here among people. So this gives us an insight into um, what the thought of the day was, of these astrologers and things. And yes, there's probably some gods that are out there, but they don't live among us, do they? I mean, never would a god come to earth and live amongst its people. No god would ever do that, right? And we see that here even today, uh, the theology or, or the philosophy of people that if there is a God up there in heaven, even if there are gods up there, they're not down here with us. What do they have to know with us? Of course, we uh, in Christendom, we know (laughs) that the only true God did exactly that, sending his son Jesus and lived among us uh, on this earth, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this already gives us kind of a contrast between those who are following God and those who are not following God. We can already see this. So let's skip several verses as it goes through. Okay, well, we're going to kill you now. And Daniel says, well, hold on. Let me pray about this. Maybe I can you know, talk to the king. So we're going to skip to verse 26. It says, the king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is it true? Can you tell me what, can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Now, imagine that your company has a problem, and your boss doesn't know how to fix it, and y'all are going to tank, and we, you don't know what's going to happen. 
but you found out what the answer was to fix all the problems. And he invited you into, your, into his office. Wouldn't you walk in with your shoulders back a little bit and your head held high? And hey, don't worry, boss, I got you, you know? You're going to have this, I, I got you. Don't worry about this. I know what the answer is, okay? Is it true? Can you tell me my dream and what it means? And so Daniel has this opportunity of walking into the king and really impressing him. This is what he says in verse 27. Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals the secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. This harkens back to uh, Joseph when he was meeting with Pharaoh. Doesn't it, doesn't it sound eerily similar there? Where Pharaoh had a dream and, and he didn't know what it was. And so Joseph comes up and brings him. Remember, they, they clean Joseph up. Uh, they takes a shower and cuts his hair and all this kind of stuff. And then he comes in and, uh, and he says, do you know the dream? And he says, I can't interpret it, but there's a God in heaven. So here's, here's your practical learning for today, okay? Because some of you are like, how do I practically, like today, how do I show God that I'm faithful to him? What's something that I can walk out of the room here and today, this week, actually physically do that would show God that I'm faithful to him? And I think Daniel and even Joseph back in the day showed us this, that when applause or when attaboys or whenever comes your way, we deflect that back to the Lord immediately and let everybody know that whatever ideas that we come up with, whatever successes that we have, it's because God has given us the opportunity to have those successes. I think that that is a practical thing that we can do today. So number one, don't chase applause from men. And when you get applause from men, then you say it's because of God. Everything I am, everything I have is because of God. And so that is a practical thing to actually do here this week. All right, Verse 29. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about the coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what is in your heart. Once again, it's not because I'm better, not because I'm smarter, not because I'm this, whatever. It's because God is going to speak. He just, he's choosing me at this moment in time. So when we go out today, okay, God's using me in this moment in time for this situation to speak life into this, but we give God the praise and the glory for it. Verse 31. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. That is a frightening sight, absolutely. Verse 34, as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. When the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor, but the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Now, we have the benefit of years and years and years 
of this being in Scripture, and it's been interpreted, and there's commentaries written on it, and you've read the story and heard the story and probably heard sermons about it, and maybe you just kind of read that, and you can kind of see what's going on here, can't you, a little bit? We have the benefit of, you know, hundreds and a couple thousand years of being able to see that. They didn't know it at the time. This was, this was new to them. They didn't know what, what was going on here. And so Daniel tells them, okay, so you've got this man, and he's got a head of, of gold and all these things. Those represent different kingdoms, man-made kingdoms that are throughout time. And we can talk about what those kingdoms were. That, that's not what we're dissecting here today. The point is, is that these are human kingdoms, whether they're Greece, Rome, whatever. These are human kingdoms, okay? And some are better than others, gold, better than iron, whatever it may be, okay? But the point is, is that there is a rock that is not made by human hands, kingdom of God, that is going to come and smash it, knock it down, and it's going to destroy it so much that the winds of time are going to come through, sweep it away so that they won't even be remembered. And then that rock, which is the kingdom of God, God, builds up into a mountain, and that kingdom lasts forever and ever and ever. And everybody says, Amen. And that means that God's kingdom is way better than any human kingdom that can be built up. And so we as a people need to be very careful when we start to build up our kingdoms. Now, maybe we're not as evil or we're not as whatever as the gold, which is probably Babylon, maybe Babylon at the time. Maybe we're not as evil as that. But we can look through history and see different kingdoms that were built up that for a time had some power, that had some authority for a time. But we know at some point, whether it's in our lifetime or not, at some point there is going to be a rock that comes not made by human hands. will destroy it, wipe it away, and then his kingdom lives forever and ever and ever. What that should do to us is bring us hope that motivates faithfulness. That's what that should do to us. This hope that's in the future. So you say, right now I live in a culture and it's an evil culture and it's bad and they don't want me to serve God and they want me to do things that God didn't want me to do and so they're wielding some power me over, over right now. But we should have a hope that whatever human kingdom is built up today will be demolished will be swept away like it was never here, and then there is a kingdom that lasts forever, and we have the opportunity to be a part of that kingdom that lives forever by accepting Jesus Christ. See, this is big picture stuff we're talking about here, okay? Big picture stuff. And so when we can get caught up in our own kingdoms and what we think and what we want to do, and well, this is, you know, I'm going to make money so I can do this, and I want to, so we can get down to these things right here. What we're doing is we're building our kingdoms, and those kingdoms will not last. They will not last. They will not last. So our faithfulness should not be to the kingdoms that we can build ourselves. They should be faithfulness to a God whose kingdom will last forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. So now we skip to Daniel chapter 7. We've got another dream that's coming. This time Daniel has the dream. And there's some similarities to the dream and what happens in Daniel chapter 2. And it's very interesting what comes out and what happens. He gives us a little bit more information about this kingdom that's going to live forever and ever. 
So Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Earlier during the first year of King Belteshazzar, so this dream is probably about 30 or 40 years after Daniel chapter 2. Seven, chapter 7 is about 30 or 40 years after Daniel chapter uh, 2. Here we go. During the first year of King Belteshazzar reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw a vision as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. So just for time's sake, let me tell you. There was a dark sea, and you can read it later. There's a dark sea, and out of the dark sea comes these four beasts. And there's a lion with eagle's wings, and there's a bear, and there's a leopard. And then there's this hybrid monster that is just horrible. And these horns are growing out of his head, and... Basically, these beasts lay waste to all humans across time and across world. And once again, these are, these are human kingdoms, which we'll get into in a second, that lay waste to humans. That, that yes, we build ourselves up to be this thing, but actually, there, are beasts, there is a beast inside of all of us that wants to rule, that when we get any kind of power, we, we cause destruction. And read a history book and you'll see that, right? Read any history book, and you will see that that's what's happening. So there's a beast inside of all of us that is trying to come out. Once we give our life to Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that we begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, not to the sin nature side of us, thank the Lord. But that's part of what the representation is here, okay? And so toward the end, the horns on the head move out of the way, and then this, this other horn pops out, and this horn starts making fun and mocking God and God's people. Okay, So that, that's the dream that he saw. Just a horrible dream. Verse 9, I watched as thrones were put in place, and the Ancient One, some of your Bibles say the Ancient of Days, the Ancient of Days, God the Father, sat down to judge. Okay, His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne, Wheels of blazing fire and the fire and the river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were open. You guys with me? Y'all sleep yet? I mean, that's a pretty awesome throne, okay? The, the, all the CGI that Marvel could produce does not match what this throne looks like, okay? This is incredible what's going on here, okay? So you've got this dark sea, you've got these beasts that are coming out, and then you have the Ancient of Days. He comes in and kind of, it kind of switches to a courtroom scene, and he comes and he sits down as the judge over all of humanity, all of time, all of the world, and he looks at these beasts, and he's not very happy, is he? Verse, reverse my on, verse 11, I continue to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. And he's just throwing insults at God and all this. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. Now, there's, there's a lot that we can try to interpret and, and, and a lot of things that we can try to pull out of this. For this sermon, for this message, for what we're talking about here today, the point that I want to make is that these human kingdoms, for a while, have some authority, which, for the most part, is not good for any of us that are humans. Because the, the, the human mindset, everything just runs through all of us. They are like beasts that just devour everything in the land. 
But the fourth beast will be killed. These other beasts will have their authority taken from them, even though some of their influence will linger, but eventually they will be destroyed to where we can say hallelujah. I know that I'm kind of running through a little bit and not stopping at each individual interpretation, but that's the point of it, that all of these will have their time And we've talked about this before, that there are some kingdoms that are on a throne, but we know that God is on the throne, and we are thankful for that. All right. So how and why and and, and where does, how is this going to happen? What's going on? Verse 13. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. Everybody say "Son son of man. Son of man. I saw someone like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. So what is this son of man? Because you've got, you've got the, the judge, the ancient of days, God the Father, he's there. And then this son of man comes walking in with the clouds in heaven, which is a divine phrase, okay? Coming with the clouds, that's a divine phrase. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. So this son of man is written twice in the Old Testament. First of all, it was in Ezekiel, when God called Ezekiel the son of man, speaking of his humanity. Like, you're, you're man, you're the son of man, so you need to listen to me because I'm God, okay? So that's the first time that, it, that it's in the Old Testament. The second time is this time right here. And this, it says, is someone like a son of man. This is so important for us because there is a figure that is coming in that is approaching the Ancient of Days that looks like human, that looks like man, but yet is divine because he's coming in with the clouds. Not only that, verse 14, he, this son of man, was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Similar to that rock that was cut out of the mountain in Daniel 2, that kingdom will never be destroyed. So for years and years, the question is, Who is this son of man? This son of man that's coming in looks like a human, but yet divine. And sometimes we get this wrong. Sometimes when we hear son of God, that that means his divinity. And then the son of man means his humanity. It's actually the other way. Uh, Because this phrase, son of man, is in Daniel chapter 7, that looks like a man, yet is divine. So the question is, who is this son of man? I know all of you are ahead of me and you know, okay? <laughs> Hadn't even read it yet. But who is this son of man? From Daniel's point of view, and for years and years their point of view, who is this son of man? Fast forward to the Gospels. As Jesus is coming and he is baptized by John the Baptist and he begins to do these miracles and he begins to teach all these sermons and Sermon on the Mount and all this stuff, everybody keeps asking him the same question, are you the Christ, are you the Messiah? And what does he do whenever people start asking him or try to put these labels on him? What does he do? He's like, be quiet, don't say that. You know, he, he casts the demon out, I know who you are, you're the Holy One, Son of God. He's, stop it, stop it, okay? Stop talking about that. He, he constantly says, he doesn't say that he's not, he says to be quiet to these phrases of Messiah 
and Christ, mainly because these are political terms that the Jewish people are trying to put on him. Jesus is not here to be political, and we need to hear that here today. Jesus is not here to be political. He's here to do so much more than that. Okay? So much more than that. So he keeps saying, be quiet, be quiet. But there is a phrase that he does say about himself. In fact, 80 times in the gospel, he calls himself the son of man. Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, when the disciples are, uh, take the, the heads of grain and the, and the Pharisees are mad. Verse 8, for the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Luke 19, when he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. He's talking about himself. He came to save those who were lost. John chapter 5, the father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his son, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. That's right. He keeps calling himself the Son of Man. Every time he says Son of Man, he is referring to Daniel chapter 7, the dream that Daniel has. Daniel is an important book in the Old Testament. And so when he says Son of Man, every Jewish person in, in throwing distance knew exactly what he was saying. Because we're looking for the, this figure, the Son of Man, who is it? And he seems to be coming here with the Lord, with the Ancient of Days. Who is this Son of Man? And he keeps saying, I am the Son of Man. Mark chapter 14, verse 60. This is... This is the big one right here. So he's before the Sanhedrin. He's about to be crucified. In verse 60, he says this, Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Once again, they're asking him, Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Now, he had shut it down for a while, but now here he is. At the moment that he came here for, at verse 62, Jesus said, I am. Then he says, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. It is undeniable who Jesus is talking about and what he is referring to. He is quoting Daniel chapter 7 here in Mark chapter 14. This son of man that is going to rule over all the nations, all these beasts that are coming up out of the sea, and you're wondering how are they going to perish and, and this kingdom that lasts forever, who is that? Jesus says, I am. And he says these phrases. He says that I, that I am seated in the place of honor. If you remember back in Daniel 7, when he talks about the angels that come, when the angels are around the throne, they're either standing, attending to him, or they are bowing down low to him. But no one is seated next to God. What that, what that seated would mean that, they, that there is an authority that is there between them. Jesus says, I am seated at the right hand of the Father. Not only seated, but I am coming on the clouds of heaven. Hallelujah. This son of man is Jesus Christ. So for those people who say, well, did Jesus never really even said he was God. Here you go. Mark 14, 62. You can show him. He is the son of God. This is who he's claiming to be. And he is quoting back to Daniel chapter 7. And what's amazing is all this authority, 
on, he- on heaven and earth. It's given to him from the ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7. And then what does he say in Matthew chapter 28 with the Great Commission? All, he- all, heaven and er- all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go. So he's inviting us into his kingdom, saying, I want you to be a part of this. This authority that is given to me, I'm giving it to you so you can go and make disciples of all nations. Listen, church, we cannot walk around, all woe is me and this culture is so bad and I just better be quiet or there's consequences. Listen, we can have confidence that the Son of Man is with us. We can walk into any situation and know that he is with us. He's not going to leave us. I am so thankful for that. Verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen, and my, and my visions terrified me. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. He explained it to me like this. So normally Daniel is the one that is interpreting uh, dreams. But now he's like, I don't know what's going on here, guys. I need somebody else to interpret this. So then he asked an angel, verse 17, these four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, hallelujah, but in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom. Authority in the heaven and earth is given to me. Now go. Will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Now, this is a zoomed back, big picture look at what's going on here. And some of us here today may be like, yeah, that's great. That's whatever. I got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> like, I got, I got kids. They're driving me crazy. What am I supposed to do? I don't have money in the bank. I don't got da-da-da-da. And, and, and sometimes, like, we'll hear this big picture stuff, and then we immediately go back to us and our problems and our stuff. And like, yeah, but what about me? What am I supposed to do right now? If we're not careful we start thinking about our own kingdoms rather than what actually is going on out there. Now, the good news for us, when we are struggling with, what am I supposed to do today? I have physical problems right now. I have financial problems right now. Is that our God is a God that is not like the gods of the first story. He dwelt among us. He's different than all these other gods. So yes, he is walking with us and cares for us and heals us and loves us and all these things, and he's walking with us. And this summer, we're going to talk more about that, living in the Spirit, walking with us like that. However, before we start thinking about and wondering about and building our kingdom, we have to know what the kingdom of God is doing. And what that does is that hope motivates our faithfulness. The hope of the coming king motivates us to have, to have faith in Jesus Christ. Our faithfulness is to God because whatever kingdoms we build here today will be knocked down. And we can focus in on God's kingdom. So, despite what it may look like, God is in control. I know that we live in a culture that is very anti-God. And so for a time, they have some power. They are on a throne, but we believe that God is on the throne. Despite what it may look like, God is in control. Then what do we do? We separate ourselves from ungodliness. World, you want to act this way? That's fine. 
but we're going to separate ourselves from that. We are going to remain faithful to a God and to a kingdom that is going to live forever. And then finally, we know that God is faithful. God is faithful. That's what this book of Daniel talks to us about. Whether you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether you're Daniel in the lion's den, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what the consequences that an evil culture will throw at us, when we remain faithful to God, God remains faithful to his people. And we get to rule with him one day in heaven forever and ever and ever. Of course, we lay down our crowns. <laughs> we lay down our crowns. Because he is God. And I am thankful to the Son of Man for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So we're going to go into a time of worship. Can you stand with me this morning? We're going to go into a time of worship. I know this is kind of a big picture look at it. We're going to zoom in a little uh, a, a smaller picture next week. This is a big picture look. We zoomed out. We're going to zoom in next week. But today... It is worth it to say, God, your kingdom is greater than my kingdom, than any human kingdom that is here on the earth. And so we want to praise and give glory and honor to you. So I, I will open up these altars. If you say, I want to pray, because there is too many times I care more about my kingdom and building my kingdom and what am I going to do, and, and I focus too much on myself, and I need to put the focus back on you. And so if you would like to find a place to pray about that or anything else, these altars are open for you. Please come find a place. But we are here today to give praise and honor and worship to a king. So can we do that? Can you just lift your hands for a moment and just in your own words give a praise and, a, and, a, and an honor to him? Maybe just thank him for all he has done. Lord, we lift you up. We praise you this morning. Go ahead and begin to talk to him. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Maybe you want to come and find a place to pray. Absolutely, come do that right now. We want to, we want to take pause of our own kingdoms. And Lord, we want to lift up the kingdom of God and praise your name. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We lift you up. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, your kingdom is above all. And we know that you are ultimately in control. And so we give our faith and we give our allegiance and we give our praise to you. An all-knowing and an all-loving God. Thank you, Jesus. Church, can we worship him this morning? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we come to you today praising you, thanking you. You are the Son of Man. Divine. You have authority and power over kingdoms. The kingdoms, of, the kingdoms of today. So Lord, we give you all due praise and honor. You deserve it as the Son of Man. You are our God. You are our God. And we thank you. Help us today, Lord. Help us today. In... in some cases, many cases, we deal with an evil culture every day. Some that go to, to middle school and high school or college or go to work or friends or whatever. There's a culture that is anti-God every step of the way. 
And from time to time, it is very difficult to live in that time. Lord, we know around the world, (laughs) around the world, it is illegal to even join together as a church in many places. We know that that is true. God, we pray for, for those, what faith they have despite their circumstances. What faith they have. Lord, I'm not comparing right now. I'm just saying what faith that they have and what faith that we can have in you. That despite whatever consequences may come our way, well, we have faith in you. It is your kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. So we cannot bow to a culture and to a kingdom and to a world here today that will not last. Lord, we bow, we lay our crowns down, not to them, but we lay them down to you, Lord. So God, help us. Help us in the day today. And when decisions come and things happen, Lord, we need your presence. We thank you that you dwell among us. You're not a million miles away. Lord, you're right here. And help us. Help us to know your presence right here. God, for those going to school tomorrow, God, I pray that your presence would be with them. The conversations that they hear, the things that, the anti-God things that are happening, Lord, I pray that they would remain faithful to you, that our children would remain faithful to you. Lord, pray for our children remain faithful that the that the authority or the control that is that they seem to have help us have a big picture look and know that that is just temporary but it is your kingdom that lasts forever help us Lord help us Lord we thank you we thank you for your mercy. To look down on us as sinners. You had mercy on us. And you provided a way for our salvation. And God, we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise here today. Thank you, Jesus.